I want you to turn with me in your Bible tonight, please, to the book of Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 46. Isaiah, chapter 46. Many years ago, when I was a student at Bob Jones, I was just a freshman there, and I used to hear old Dr. Bob Jones Sr. say, finish the job. Well, I'm not going to finish the job tonight. I'll do that Wednesday night. I'll finish it. So I hope you'll be back Wednesday night and get the remainder of the message the Lord's laid on my heart for us tonight. Isaiah 46, verse 9 through 10. And I simply want us to think on this thought, a reason to believe. A reason to believe. Verse 9 and 10 read like this, Isaiah 46. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is none else. I am God, and there is none like me. Notice, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times, the things that are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Tonight, we have suggested and revealed in these verses the fault of prophecy in the Bible. The Lord knows the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. In fact, he said he is the Alpha and the Omega. He is the beginning and the end. He is the author and finisher of our faith. I remind you of this. The Lord only finishes what he authors. Indeed, he is the author. And when he authors, I'll promise you, as this verse has declared, I promise you, the Lord will do what he has said. His counsel, he says, shall stand, and I will do all my pleasure. Biblical prophecy is indeed the key to understanding both the past as well as the future. Most prophecy in the scripture has already been fulfilled, Therefore, it is a very simple matter to determine whether or not the prophecies in the Bible are reliable and accurate. Most of the prophecies that have been given have already been fulfilled. Now, there are yet prophecies that will be fulfilled. They are things that deal with the future, your fu our future. Uh, and yet, uh, what prophecies have been given in the Bible are sufficient proof as you find their fulfillment to indeed give us a reason to believe that God is and that God's Word indeed is reliable and inerrant and trustworthy. There are two major themes of prophecy that run consistently throughout the scripture. And those two major themes of prophecy are, number one, Israel, the nation, the people of Israel. 
And secondly, and yet not to say second in order of importance, but numerically, the second is that concerning the Messiah, the Messiah of Israel, who indeed comes to Israel and through Israel to the world as the Savior of mankind. So you have two major themes of prophecy running through the Scripture, Israel, the Jew, that is, and the Messiah. Around these two central themes of the nation and the people of Israel and prophecies relative to the Messiah, revolving all around that, those two major themes, you'll find related subjects of prophecy as to the rapture of the church, as to the Antichrist, and also his world government. You'll find also related to that the battle, the final battle, the battle of Armageddon, as well the fact of the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to this earth. But all of these truths and prophecies hinge on the two major prophecies of Israel and the Messiah. About 30%, by the way, of the Bible is, is filled with prophecy. That means about one-third of all of the Scripture is prophetic in its utterance. Now, it is marked, I think the Scripture's prophecy is in marked and evident contrast to other religious books, uh, such as the Quran, which has absolutely no prophecy in it. The Hindu Vedas has no prophecy in it. Again, the, the uh, uh, writings of Joe Smith and the Book of Mormon None of these have prophecy in them. But the Bible that you and I revere is filled with prophecy and sufficient fulfillment of prophecies that we read about that we are indeed given a great reason for trust and a great reason for believing. Now, there are many important purposes and reasons for Bible prophecy. For example, prophecy fulfilled is an irrefutable proof for the existence, as I said, of our God and of His infallible Word. Fulfilled prophecy. Again, uh, prophecy has a vital role in revealing God's purpose for mankind. It provides as well a foolproof identity of God's true Messiah and at the same time takes the mask off of that false Messiah known in the scripture as uh, the Antichrist. Now, Prophecy in the Bible, and this is just kind of an introduction to what I want us to think about, but prophecy is unique not only to the Bible, but it is unique in relation to the Lord Jesus himself. For example, we think of the uniqueness of Bible prophecy in relation to Jesus our Lord. Uh, 
think of this. There is no prophecy concerning the arrival of Muhammad or of Buddha or of Confucius. No, no prophecy whatsoever relative to these, nor even of Mary Baker Eddy and all of her followers in Christian science that's neither Christian nor science. I heard one fellow say, reminded him of grape nuts. You open the box and there's no grapes, no nuts in the box. And that's what Christian science is. And yet again, uh, uh, none of that. Even so, no prophecy of uh, modern Hindu gurus uh, that have invaded our Western culture and our country of America. No prophecy of those. Yet let me tell you this. There are more than 300 Old Testament prophecies that relate to and have to do with Israel's Messiah. Centuries before he came, this very one was prophesied in very specific and intimate detail, definite detail. Specific criteria was laid out in Old Testament prophecy that when our Savior came and in his life, in his death, and in his resurrection, indeed, there is fulfillment of what the Old Testament prophets had to say concerning the true Messiah. Now, another thing the Bible reveals concerning this nation of Israel, the Jew, and that is this, that God chose that nation of people to be a witness for him, to show forth the very fact of God to this very, uh, very God-forsaken uh, God, uh, world. However, over 30% of modern-day Israelis claim to be atheists. Now, they wouldn't tell you that that uh, 30% wouldn't tell you that there's a God. And yet they are witnesses in the fact that they are a preserved people. They are a nation still in existence and they yet are a witness of the very fact of God and of the truth of the Lord's prophecy concerning them. Now, there are nine major prophecies that I want to deal with beginning tonight, and I'll deal perhaps with four or five of them and try to wind up on Wednesday night. These prophecies relative to Israel, the majority of the nine have to do with things future for Israel. But I want us to look at these, uh, these prophecies that have to do with Israel. They are specific. They are historical. They're irrefutable. They are detailed. And they have already been fulfilled precisely and definitely as the Lord's word con said concerning the nation of Israel. Now let's look at them carefully if you will. In the first place, God promised a land with clearly defined boundaries 
for this people that we call the Jew or the nation and the people of Israel. I want you to turn with me in your Bible and use the word tonight. This is the Bible carrying crowd here tonight. So I want you to follow carefully. Look, if you will, in Genesis 15 and reading at verse 18. Genesis 15 and verse 18. Now I said that God promised a land with clearly defined boundaries to this nation of people. He begins in chapter 15 at verse 18 and to the father of the Hebrew, to the, uh, the father of the Jew, Abraham, the Lord is heard to say this. And in the same day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto thy seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river, the river Euphrates. The Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephians, and the Amorites, and the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. Now nothing could be more definite than this, that God promised Abraham. He said, I'm making a covenant with you, and I'm going to give you this land. Now that wasn't a fairy land. It wasn't some imaginary dream world. It was soil, and God said, Abraham, I'm giving this to you now. While you're there in Genesis, turn back to chapter 12 and look at verse 1. Chapter 12 and verse number 1. And the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. Just look on over to chapter 13 while we're here and look at verse 15. For all the land, the Lord speaking to Abram, for all the land which thou seest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed forever. And I will make thy seed as the dust of the earth so that if a man can number the dust of the earth, then shall thy seed also be numbered. Arise, walk through the land in the length of it, in the breadth of it, for I will give it unto thee. Now nothing could be plainer, I think, than what we have read concerning the Lord's promise to Abraham and his children. To the Jew, he has promised a definite land and given definite boundaries to that very land. Chapter 15 and verse 7 also, you might mark that, is another verse you could read. I give thee this land to inherit it. So the Lord prophesied long before Israel ever went into the promised land. We say, does Israel occupy all of the land God promised them today? No, not at all. Neither do you and I possess all that God promised us in the spiritual realm, do we? And yet, as the old prophet said, 
asking the question, uh, do you possess you, your possessions? God promises that. But I'll promise you this. All the land that the Lord said was Abraham and his children will eventually, one day, ultimately belong to the Jew. Now, little wonder that there's so much warfare, so much hatred, and so much fighting in the land of Israel over possession of the land. You see, the devil never has liked for God's people to have what the Lord said belonged to him in the first place. Uh, when, he, uh, when he promised salvation to the believing sinner, I'll guarantee you the devil fought you tooth and toenail, try to keep you from coming uh, into the grand possession uh, of uh, eternal life. And he'll fight you at every turn, uh, even in your Christian life. Now, the Lord renewed this very covenant and the promise of a land to Abram's son, Isaac. He, re he renewed that promise. And I'll not turn there, but you'll find in Genesis 26, verse 3, 4, and 5. And then, not only that, but he renewed the covenant with his grandson, Jacob. He said to Jacob in chapter 28 of Genesis and verse 13, that this land belongs to you. And then in Joshua 14 and verse 9, it is not only to the immediate descendants of Abraham but to his descendants, and the Lord uses this little word in that verse, forever. It belongs to him forever. That's another reason I believe in eternal salvation. The Lord gives you eternal life. Now, he means exactly that. And what God has counseled, what he has promised, so will he do. So uh, the Lord uh, gives in prophecy a promise to Israel of a land that has clearly defined boundaries. Then secondly, uh, of these nine pro major prophecies concerning Israel, it is indeed a, an historical fact that God brought these, and I use a quote, chosen people into the promised land, which was, by the way, in and of itself, an amazing miracle that God could bring these hundreds of thousands, million of them, out of Egypt and wander through a wilderness for 40 years and then bring them into this land that the Lord, many years before, had promised to their forefather, Abraham. Now, the Lord has chosen Israel as his people. Look in Deuteronomy just for a second. Deuteronomy chapter 7. I'm having you to read with me a, a, a few more verses than I normally do, but maybe you can catch up on your Bible to read. De Deuteronomy chapter 7, and look with me at verse number 6. Deuteronomy 7 and verse number 6. And the verse reads like this. We're talking about the chosen people. For thou art, and he's talking to Israel, for thou art an holy people. The word holy meaning set apart, your sanctified people, unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself 
above all people that are upon the face of the earth. Now the Lord chose the Jew as a very special people, a very special nation. And so the Lord has called them his children. You find it also here in Deuteronomy chapter 14 and verse number 2. I'll not ask you to turn there, but it says primarily the same thing. Now then a third major prophecy the Lord gave concerning Israel is this. The Lord promised them that if they practice the idolatry and the immorality of the people who occupied that promised land before the Lord ran them off and out because of the evil and the wickedness, the Lord said, I'll cast you out of this land if you fall prey to the idolatry and the immorality that was present in the land year before. Now look with me at Deuteronomy, turning to chapter 28. Chapter 28 and verse 63. One of the reasons I'm talking to you about Israel is because the Jew in Israel is so much in the news today and a lot of people are wondering why. We need to be up on it. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verse 63. And the verse reads like this. And it shall come to pass that as the Lord rejoiced over you to do you good and to multiply you, so the Lord will rejoice over you to destroy you and to bring you to naught or to nothing, you sh and you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. Now, the Lord's original covenant to Abraham was the land, and that covenant still stands. But he said, if you disobey me and fall into this sin of idolatry and immorality, I'm going to boot you off of the land just like it did the rest. Now that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that they were God's chosen people. Uh, Paul over in Romans says to us, Hath God cast away his people forever? God forbid, he said. Oh no, he said blindness in part has come to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles come in. The Lord will then begin to work again with this nation of people, Israel. Little wonder then, is it, that he has preserved this nation of people through all these centuries. God has a purpose for them yet. And so the Lord said, if you do it, I'm going to cast you off of the land. 1 Kings 9 and verse 7 reiterates the same thing. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 20 reiterates again the same warning. And God says, if you disobey me, I'm going to take you off of the land. I believe we could make an application here to even the present day child of God's grace. We're saved by God's grace. But if you disobey the Lord, backslide and get out of the will of God, God's going to have to remove his blessings from your life. Now that doesn't mean he's going to kick you out of the family. That doesn't mean that he's going to unsave you. 
You ever heard of anybody being unsaved or or, or unborn? It just doesn't happen any more than unhatching a chicken happens. Why as it is, God has given us eternal life. But he will deal with us even as he dealt with his chosen people on this earth, the chosen nation of Israel. God dealt with them in severity of chastisement and punishment and judgment because they had gone away from him. And I tell you this as a child of God, a word of warning to every one of us. When you get away from the Lord, if you're truly God's child, I'll tell you he'll chasten you. He'll discipline you. To use the terms of the Bible, if you are without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, that is all are saved, then he said you're bastards and not sons. That's tough language. But that's the language of the Scripture. And so a man who is saved may get away from the Lord and disobey him even as Israel did, though he may still be one of God's children, God's going to deal with him. You don't kick the kids out of your family just because they disobey you. You may feel like it sometimes, but you don't do that. You could even claim to disown them, say they're not my youngin', they belong to my husband or my wife, they belong to them. But the truth is, they're still yours, whether you like it or not. So the best thing for you to do is to apply the Board of Education of the Seed of Knowledge and teach them a few things about, about minding and obeying and so forth. So here is the, uh, the warning that God gives to them. Now, what happened in the fulfillment of that prophecy is an indisputable fact of history. Israel was cast out of the land. They wandered, and we'll look at that in just a second. They were cast out of the land, and not until 1948, in the month of May, did Israel ever again, as far as, uh, as, as secular Israel is concerned, have a land that they could call their own. God cast them out. And for what was it, 2,500 years plus? that they had no homeland, they were, were cast out. So, so far then, the story is hardly really what I'd call remarkable. For there have been, uh, there have been others who have claimed certain geographical uh, areas as their own, only to have an enemy to come in and run them out of that land that they claimed was their own. However, the next six prophecies, we've looked at three. God promised a land to them. He, re he renewed that covenant, that promise to uh, the nation of Israel. Again, uh, the historical fact is God calls them his chosen people. And the third prophecy that we've just looked at was if they disobey me, then the Lord said, will cast you out. Now then, uh, these next six prophecies that I'll deal with could not have happened by chance. Not at all. And I want us to look at about two more here. His people, the Bible prophesied, would be scattered, to use the terms of the Scripture, among all people from one end of the earth 
even unto the other. Now, if you still have Deuteronomy chapter 28, look at verse 64. Chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, verse 64. Now, the Lord had just said, and we had read verse 63, you shall be plucked from off the land whither thou goest to possess it. Verse 64 now. And the Lord shall scatter thee among all people from the one end of the earth even unto the other. And there thou shalt serve other gods which neither thou nor thy fathers have known even wood and stone. Now there are many other verses in the Old Testament prophecy that relates to the diaspora of Israel, the scattering of Israel. In in 1 Kings 9, verse 7, the Lord told them He'd scatter them even to the uh, ends of the earth. In Nehemiah chapter 1 and verse 8, same thing. In Amos chapter 9 and verse 9, same thing. And in in, uh, uh, in 2 Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 14, same thing. The Lord said, I'll scatter you among all people from one end of the earth even unto the other. The wandering Jew is found everywhere. You go to South America, he's there. Go to Africa, he's there. Go to the continent of Europe, he is there. Come here to the United States of America, he is there. He is scattered abroad all over this very world. But now here's an amazing thing. Even though they are scattered, they have never lost their identity. Now that's a miracle of history itself. That a people could be scattered and put, listen, with all of the, with all of the persecution they have endured, all of the hatred, all the maligning, all of the anti-Semitism, all of the threats, all of the, all of the drives to exterminate them from the face of the earth. Yet these, the Jews, you know what they could have done? They could have intermarried and literally obliterated their race. But God wouldn't let them do it. Even under the Catholic Church way back, they put out a decree in Rome that a Christian was not to even associate with a Jew, much less, much less marry a Jew. And so God even had to use civil authority and governmental power to keep Israel in line. But I'm going to tell you, whatever it takes, he'll keep you and me in line too. But he preserved his people. And here they are. You, listen, you, you can find them everywhere. New York City, Los Angeles, South America and Sao Paulo. You find them, just name it. They're there, scattered everywhere. And we'll see a little bit later on Wednesday night that the Lord has prophesied he had bring them back to their own land. That's already started. That's not the complete restoration. But I'll tell you, I think the Lord's blowing the whistle and said, hey, it's happening. They come from the north, the south. When I was in England, uh, 
met a dear man who was engaged altogether in the business of providing funds for Jews in Russia to fly into the land of Israel. And uh, I'm glad I had a little part in that, what little I, what I could monetarily to help fly those precious people who wanted to go back to their homeland. And yet one of these days, unless you talk about an endeavor, there's going to be one. So I think we're seeing already a part of that resurrection of those old dry bones. They've rattled. They're coming together. And already they've got some sinew on the bones. That's muscle. Uh, these, <laughs> I'll tell you now, when you read in the history of the Six-Day War, you find, you find a lot of muscle on those fellows. But God's promised to take care of them. He's got an ultimate purpose. And that purpose we'll see a little bit later on, not tonight, but on Wednesday night. They're scattered then, and God promised they would be. The fifth prophecy, God warned that uh, wherever they wandered, the Jew would be and to use the words of Scripture now, he would become an astonishment, a proverb, a byword, a curse, and a reproach. Look to Deuteronomy again, chapter 28, and look at verse 37. Deuteronomy 28 and verse 37. This 28th chapter, by the way, you ought to make a real study of that. Chapter 28, verse 37. And thou shalt become an astonishment, a proverb, and a byword among all nations whither the Lord shall lead thee. Throughout history, they have been maligned. There are the slurs that people make concerning the Jews, jokes. <laughs> I heard one the other day. Somebody asked me, said, do you know how the Grand Canyon got started? And I said, no, that a Jew dropped a dime in a gopher hole. Well, it may be something to that, I don't know. But they're the butt end of jokes. I mean, you know, some preacher said he went into a men's dress shop suit shop the other day. He said this Jewish fellow walked up and he said, may I help you please? The fellow said, yes sir. He said, do you have any green colored suits? And the fellow hollered back and said, hey Jacob, turn on the green lights. <laughs> but they're the butt end of jokes, slurs. Uh, they are hated. Uh, and there is a great rise of anti-Semitism not only this country, but around the world. Con growing, uh, heated, uh, more heated, day by day. Now, I'm going to have to stop there. But let me say that oftentimes, and I hope you are not offended by my uh, ethnic joke about the Jew tonight, but oftentimes you find even among Christians, that the slurs and the hatred is expressed. That is, those who profess to be Christian. And I will tell you this. The over, 
tours that the Vatican and the Pope has made toward the Jews is hypocritical. The church has always hated the Jews. And they have seen to it. Lydia, do you know what Hitler said? Hitler said that his Holocaust, his planned experiment of the Jew, was only a completion of what the what the church what the what the Catholic Church and fellows like Martin Luther, by the way, who hated the Jews. And these fellows, they just wanted, and there was such a, a, a maligning, a hatred of these people. Now, why is that? Why are these people so hated? I'll tell you, they have forsaken God, His command, and the Lord indeed promised that judgment would come as a result. You know, you can't afford to play with God. You and I as a Christian, we can't afford to do that. The Lord meant business when he saved you. He meant business when he called you. And he meant business when he gave us this book that our lives should be lived by. Prophecy. What a key to understanding the past as well as opening a view for the future. Now, I hope your appetite's been whetted enough till you want to be back Wednesday night, and I'll try to share with you some more of these prophecies concerning the nation and the people of Israel. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, no, I, I, I'll try to say, let me just mention one other fact. Some of it may not be here Wednesday night. If you're not, have you found it amazing that uh, uh, Jerusalem, uh, nothing, I mean, there's no commercial or economic value in just that old run-down ancient city. And yet it's, it's become the focus of the attention of the nations of the world. Uh, the prophet said that Jerusalem would become a burden to the nations in the last days. I don't know of any. Did you watch any of the news today? If you did, you couldn't help but see something about Israel, Jerusalem. The Pope and the, church, the Catholic Church wants Jerusalem to become an international city. Not under the control of the Jew, but an international city. There's a big push for that. But Jerusalem belongs to the Jews. And God said, it's my city where I've designed and determined that my name should be there. God's going to take care of you. Have you ever thought, if, if you've ever visited that city, the present day city of Jerusalem is built on rubble and debris from centuries past. Wars, wars, wars. Little wonder that the devil, who is the prince of the power there, would direct armies to try to destroy that old city. But isn't it interesting to you it is me that it's still there? Not going anywhere. Zion belongs to the Lord. And he's going to take care of it. Well, there are dark days ahead for this nation of people. Days of Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble is ahead. Severity, punishment, persecution more than they have ever known. But ultimately, thank God. We're going to rule and reign with our blessed Lord who will rule for a thousand years on this earth. 
from the throne of David after the flesh from the city of Jerusalem. Thank God for that. All right, let's stand together as we pray.